Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts, or sorry, Psalm 42. Psalm 42. We are in week three of our summer series where we have been, uh, it's titled The Air We Breathe, and we have been identifying and discussing some of the subtle yet sinful thought patterns uh, that permeate every part of our culture that we're living in and that naturally creep into our hearts and, and can then creep in here. And so we want to shine the light of God's word on those thought patterns. And, and we really rooted ourselves on week one in Romans chapter 12, verses one to two, where the Apostle Paul teaches us that, that right worship is right living, right? And that that right living flows out of right thinking. So don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And so all week long, we've got the world and its conforming influences and our entertainment. It's just the, it's the air we breathe is shaping us. And so now we want to be transformed by the renewal of our mind. We rooted ourselves there. We could have just as easily rooted ourselves in 2 Corinthians 10.5, where Paul wrote, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Point being, Paul is consistent in this language that your mind is like a spiritual battlefield. There's a battle being fought for your mind. And if you've read your Bible at all, you know that spiritual battles are not the kind of battles that we can win in our own strength. The solution isn't simply to think harder or to read more. What we need and what we have is the help of the Holy Spirit. And as the Spirit fights for us, he wields, our kids learn this at Camp Redeemer, He wields the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I shouldn't have sang that. He wields the sword of the Spirit. I suspect I will always sing that verse from now on. He wields the sword of the Spirit, which is what? Which is the Word of God. So picture it this way. If uh, my kids like this analogy, I like this analogy. We'll see if you like it. But every time that we, we come to the text and we study the Scriptures and we get them into our minds and into our hearts, imagine it's as if you're taking this sword and you are putting it into the hands of the Holy Spirit who is in us. And now he's going to use this sword to fight against the evil one and the lies of the evil one. Because the reality is every culture has its lies. Carl Truman, a theologian and historian, says, Every age has had its darkness and its dangers. The task of the Christian is not to whine about the moment in which he or she lives, but to understand its problems and respond appropriately to them. So we don't want to whine. Call me out if I begin to whine. But uh, we do want to identify these problems. And we do want to look to God's word so that we can think wisely. So last week we talked about the problem of tribalism. And this week, I want to draw your attention to a problem that I would argue is far more pervasive, a problem that is dangerously subtle, terribly destructive. This morning, I want to shine the light of God's word on the idolization of feelings. Rene Descartes famously said, I think, therefore, I am. But our culture is shaped by a different motto. Our culture is shaped by the phrase, I feel, therefore, I am. There is no greater authority today in our culture than our feelings. That phrase, I feel, trumps everything. It trumps biology. It it trumps the vows you made in your marriage. It it trumps science. It trumps common sense. That that phrase, if you tack that on, I feel, that, that puts authority over any other authority in life in our culture right now. And the consequences in our personal lives and in our world have been disastrous. 
Carl Truman observes, if the inner psychological life of the individual is sovereign, then identity becomes as potentially unlimited as the human imagination, which kind of sounds familiar. So there was a a story that went viral over this last year, and as I was preparing for the sermon, immediately my brain went to this story. Um, I remember someone talking about how there was a school, the school in Aurelia, they had litter boxes in in the school bathroom for kids who identified as animals. And at the time, I just thought, ah, crazy. But preparing for this sermon, I thought, okay, I've got to look this up. So I looked it up. Turns out, it was a rumor. Not true. I found this in a newspaper, just a small town newspaper, where readers were reassured there are students in schools across Renfrew County who identify as animals, although there are no litter boxes in schools. And it struck me. That is a real sentence in a real newspaper. Then it struck, the sentiment behind it struck me. It's like, don't believe the rumors. Don't believe the fear mongerers. Yes, there are many students who do identify as cats in the county, but we're making them use the potty. And that strikes me as a very big problem. And again, it's not our job to whine about this. And the, the, the goal of this series isn't to wag our fingers at the culture. These things ought to make us weep. The, the goal of this series is to identify that there is an idolization of our feelings in our culture that shapes every bit of it, and we're swimming in it. It's the air that we breathe. I mixed my metaphors there. But it's, that comes with us, whether we like it or not. So the question is, how does that come with us? As, as we come here together, as we worship, as we, as we live in and amongst our families. Well, to that end, I want to turn your attention to the book of Psalms. In particular, I want to draw your attention to Psalms 42 and 43. I hope that you've turned there now in your Bible. Psalms 42 and 43, which taken together constitute one beautiful and powerful song that has been described as a case study in dealing with a downcast spirit. Here we see the psalmist dealing with some feelings. And we're going to find in this psalm that that the solution to this idolization of feelings that we're seeing right now is not to suppress feelings, is not to pretend that feelings don't exist. It's not to delegitimize feelings. It's to deprioritize feelings. That's what what we learn in God's word. We're not delegitimizing, we're deprioritizing And when needed, we're going to coach our feelings. We see all of that here in this psalm. And so I want to turn your attention to this comforting song for our complicated feelings. Look closely at the text, Psalm 42 and 43. And if you look close enough, you're very quickly going to identify a structure. So for example, look at Psalm 42 verse 5. And then just scroll your eyes over and look at Psalm 42 verse 11. Scroll down a little further, look at Psalm 43, verse 5, and you're going to notice something about these three verses. And what you notice is that they are verbatim, word for word, the exact same. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So why would he have these three repeated verses? Well, think about it in contemporary terms. These are the, this is the chorus of the song. So we've been singing songs this morning, and in a traditional song, I mean, there are, there are verses, there are um, hymns that have got the four verses. 
But in most songs, you're going to have a a verse or a stanza, and then you're going to have a chorus, and you keep coming back to that chorus. It ties the whole song together. It's It's the main idea at the center. And that's what we see here. We find three verses or three stanzas, and each of them culminate in this concluding chorus. And so this morning, we're going to make our way through each of the three stanzas, then we're going to consider the chorus, and then we're going to pull out some simple principles for our complicated feelings. That's the roadmap of what we're going to do this morning. It requires that we move quickly, and so I want to jump right in. Look with me at Psalm 42. We're going to read verses 1 to 4, where we find stanza 1, which I give in the title, Stanza 1, I feel far from God. Hear now God's word. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. We'll stop there. So we don't know the exact circumstances behind this song, and I would argue we're not supposed to. Sometimes the Psalms give us the the specifics, and sometimes they don't, because I, I would argue they want us to see that this is a generalized song for us to sing. What we do know is that this psalmist has been taken away from home. In particular, he's been taken away from the temple. He's longing to get back to the temple. So so perhaps he was one of the Babylonian exiles. But whether he was taken to Babylon or Assyria or, or somewhere else, the point is he's away from home and it's breaking his heart. And so he uses this vivid poetic imagery to describe what he's feeling. He, he, he says, I'm like the deer that's, that's panting for the water. God, that's how much I need you. He says, I, he says, like my tears have become my food, which means I am, I'm weeping nonstop. This is like all that sustains me is the weeping. And in the midst of it, his captors, whoever's taken him away, they're mocking him. And they're saying, where is your God? And he's got these sweet memories that he keeps returning to. Every time he closes his eyes, his memories take him back to walking into the temple, walking with the host of people and and coming together to praise. And maybe maybe you have some sweet moments here or in wherever you gather in worship. But you can think of times when you sit down and and you see your brothers and your sisters and you stand together and you sing the songs and his memories are taking him there and he loves it. But then he opens his eyes and sees that those memories don't actually change anything. In all likelihood, the man who wrote this psalm never worshipped in the temple again. In fact, if he was one of the Babylonian exiles, this man might have witnessed the burning of the temple as he was carried away from his home. So he's, he's far from home. He's far from his, his old circumstances, the life that he loved. And what we see in this first stanza is that he connects that being far from home with being far from God. Those feel like the same thing to him. Which is why he says in in verse 2, when shall I come and appear, what, before the temple? When when shall I come home? When shall I come and appear before God? See, sometimes our circumstances are so devastating and and our world gets shaken up so much that it, it really tangibly, physically, spiritually, emotionally feels like God is actually far away. 
Like my, my circumstances have changed so much and they're so dire that it feels like he's far. Now, none of us have lived through a forced exile, but I would imagine that many of us in this room have experienced something like this. Times when, when your world got flipped upside down, everything changed. Maybe somebody, somebody passed away or it was that move uh, pointing back to recent history. Maybe it was what we experienced over the last three years. We weren't able to worship together. I know during COVID, there were times when I felt very much like this psalmist. And I'd be in this empty gymnasium looking at a camera on a table right there. And it just felt like until I return to normal, I'm separated from God. And this psalmist was feeling that. And he's laying all that out on the table. It wasn't true, of course. God hadn't moved. But it felt that way. This psalmist is right in the thick of that. And that's not all he's feeling. I want to flip ahead now to verses 6 and 10. 6 to 10, sorry. Where he, we find stanza 2 and he says, I feel forgotten by God. Look with me now, verse 6. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you. From the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Miser. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love. At night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? So the psalmist says, I feel forgotten by God. I want you to look closely, verses 6 and 9. Look at the contrast. He says, my soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you. But he goes on to say later, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? So he's saying, in my misery, I'm looking to you. I haven't forgot about you, God. It's, it's, it's torment all around me, but I remember you. But it sure doesn't feel like you've remembered me at all. Worse than that, he's looking at his afflictions while his enemies are taunting him. They continue to say, where is your God? And he's looking at his circumstances and he realizes that, that these circumstances I'm experiencing, even these have passed through the hands of God. If God is sovereign, then these things that are happening to me are coming through his hand, which is why he says in verse 7, all of your waves and your breakers are crashing over me. That the language of the waves and the breakers, just think about, think about the Psalms, think about the Israelites and their story, and what does that remind you of? What's the story that the Israelites, in their worship and their praise, they often return to this one story, do you remember? The story of the Exodus. And so many times they're like, Lord, I remember you let us out. It looked hopeless. And then, and then you parted the sea and we walked through the sea and we looked behind us and lo and behold, the waves and the breakers, they were crashing over our enemies. God, you delivered us. And here the psalmist says, I haven't forgotten you. I'm, I'm in misery, but I'm looking to you. But the waves, your waves, your breakers, they're crashing over. Not my enemies, not the people who are taunting me. They're crashing over me. That's the problem with, with good theology is you can't hide from the uncomfortable truths. 
It makes you deal honestly with reality. This psalmist knows that God is holy. He is sovereign. He's not a creature. He's creator. He's not subject to all the things happening around us. He's large and in charge, which means if waves are crashing over me, then somehow, some way, this is passing through your fingers. They're your waves. They're your breakers. Now, in the midst of believing that, he remembers that God is good. I believe that too. He says in verse 8, By day the Lord commands his steadfast love. At night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. And so he's saying, I know you're sovereign and I know you're good, but these realities are, are making me feel disoriented and making me feel confused because if you're sovereign and if you're good, then why am I living in hell right now? Why are your waves crashing over my head again and again? Why are the enemies taunting me? The enemies, they're supposed to be the ones getting crushed by the waves. And in the midst of all of that, he says, I remember you, but it sure feels like you have forgotten me. Those are his words. Now, pause there. Let's remember who wrote the Psalms, who wrote the Bible. The, the catechism answer our kids memorize is holy men who were taught by the Holy Spirit. All right, so God has authored this book for us, which means that the Holy Spirit is the hand behind this, the pen that wrote these words. God gave us this song of expressing these feelings. I remember you, but it feels like you've forgotten me. And again, I suspect there are some people in this room who have an idea of what this psalmist is feeling, who, who know what it's like when wave after wave after wave seem to be crashing over your head and you're praying to him and you're singing to him and you're crying out to him, but it feels for all the world like he has forgotten you. Well, this psalmist was living there. He's giving voice to that. He felt far, he felt forgotten, and then lastly, in the third stanza, he sings, I feel rejected by God. Look at verse, chapter 43, we're going to read verses 1 to 4. He, he sings, Vindicate me, O God. Defend my cause against an ungodly people from the deceitful and unjust man. Deliver me, for you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. See, because we're made in the image of God, we, we all have this innate sense of justice that is woven into us. Right, we all, deep down in our bones, know that the bad guy shouldn't win. Right, that justice should prevail. And that's hard because sometimes the bad guy does seem to win. People do terrible things and they seem to, humanly speaking, get away with it. Earthly justice fails. And when that happens, it feels like our feet are swept right out from under us. The world suddenly doesn't make sense. And this psalmist, again, he's been dragged away from his home to who knows where. He's been mocked again and again. He's been mistreated. He's listening to his captors taunting, not just him, but they're taunting his God. And every bit of evidence seems to suggest that God is going to allow these bad guys to win. The psalmist wants nothing more than to overcome these opponents and he, his motives are pure. I mean, if you look again at, at verses 3 to 4, it, it's, it's not that he's bartering with God, but it almost feels that way. He's saying, like, God, I, 
just do what's right. Make these bad guys fall, clear the path, and, and lead me with your light and your truth. He's like, I don't want to go my way. I want to go your way. And if you do that, God, I'm going to come right back to the temple and I'm going to worship you. I'm going to pick up my lyre. I'm going to pick up my instrument. I'll lead the singing. You'll get all the glory, God. Would you just do this thing? Look, this is, it would be so good if you would just do this. And I'm sure that many of us have had that same conversation with God at various times in our lives. God, if you would just, if I, because I know that you can, and you've even shown that that you will. But would you just, if you just heal this cancer, we'll give you all the glory. We'll give you all the praise. We will, we will sing it from the mountaintops. I'll get up in front of the church. I'll give a testimony, God. Or if you would just vindicate me in my circumstances. My coworkers keep slandering me and slandering you. But if you would just rise up and be the champion that I know you are, and we have these, we play it out, don't we? It's like, God, just do, it would be so good. I can't see any downside to you doing this. It's so in line with your character. It's so right. And that's what he's doing. He's just laying his heart on the line. He's saying, do this, do this. And he says, why have you rejected me? That's what it feels like. It's like, this, this is so obviously good and right, and you're not doing it. So maybe it's me. Like, and maybe you felt that way. Rejected by God. There's no shame in it. Sometimes life is, is really hard. And sometimes in this broken world, our circumstances don't make any sense. And, and from, our, from our earthly eyes and perspective, we just can't see any way that this is all, I mean, God promises all things are working for good for those who love him who are called into our newest purpose. I know that he said that, but how on earth does this fit? And so we just feel absolutely rejected. I confess, I have felt that. I've been through deep, dark valleys where I just felt completely and utterly hopeless. Adoniram Judson, a, a great hero of the faith, a missionary that you read his biographies and you're like, this guy was just so courageous, so incredible. He, he worked so hard for the Lord and yet you find his diary and here's what he wrote in it one day. God is to me the great unknown. I believe in him, but I find him not. Sometimes, we feel like that. Like the psalmist, we, just, we feel far from God. We feel forgotten by God. We feel rejected by God. All of our circumstances seem to point towards validating all of those feelings. Maybe some of you are feeling that this morning. So the question is, what do we do with all of those feelings? In the chorus of this song, the psalmist points us toward an answer. So after voicing his despair... Three times he sings out this culminating chorus, which I'll summarize with the phrase chorus. My feelings are wrong. Pause. I've probably offended some people just with that phrase, so I want you to hear clearly what I'm not saying. Okay? So my feelings are wrong. He's not saying my feelings are, my feelings are invalid. My feelings are unnatural. Or my feelings are inappropriate. I'm not saying any of that. Considering his, I mean, exiled, tormented, mocked, waves crashing over his head, all of the feelings he's expressed are absolutely valid. He does legitimately feel far from God. He does legitimately feel forgotten. He does legitimately feel rejected. But those feelings are wrong, abstractly. They're wrong. 
So in each of the stanzas, he's asking these questions of God. Like, where are you? Why have you forgotten me? Why have you rejected me? But in the chorus, he turns the questioning in on himself. And he asks, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. What the psalmist is teaching us to do is so incredibly difficult but it's so necessary. He's teaching us the art of questioning and coaching our feelings. And P.S., the, the modern world is in on this too. Um, this is a cognitive, cognitive behavioral therapy would be kind of a, a clinical term for this. It's speaking to, coaching our feelings. But long before any of those terms existed, you open God's word and God says, here's what you need to do. You need to learn to coach your feelings with the truth. Martin Lloyd-Jones, you've heard this quote before, but I'll repeat it again. Reflecting on this passage, he asks this probing question, have you not realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? You're listening to all of those feelings. All day long, you're listening and listening to these feelings, but you're you're never turning to coach them. You're never turning to speak to them, to correct them even. So many of us resonated with those three stanzas in the song. I do feel that way sometimes. Far, forgotten, rejected. I do feel all of that. Amen. But how many of us have learned how to sing along with the chorus? How many of us have learned the art of questioning and coaching those feelings? That's what we're missing. That's what we need if we're going to safeguard ourselves here to live rightly where the air we breathe is an idolization of our feelings. We're being led into captivity by our feelings. We can't look away from our feelings. We have an introspection obsession. But God has shown us a better way to deal with our real, valid feelings. So very quickly as we conclude, coming out of this passage, I want to take what we've learned and I want to pull out four simple principles for complicated feelings. Simple principles for complicated feelings. And this isn't everything that we could say, but it's a start. First, we're reminded in this song that feelings are part of the human experience. Please hear that today. William Plumer says, If seasons of terrible depression come, no strange thing has happened to us. The same came to the author of this psalm. One of the reasons why God gave us these 150 psalms, again, penned by God, these were given by God, Holy men who were taught by the Holy Spirit wrote the scriptures. Why did God give us these 150 psalms? It's because life is filled with a wide array of complicated emotions. And so as you read through this hymnal for the church, you find songs of praise and songs of discouragement. Songs of of rejoicing and songs of of betrayal and songs of friendship and songs of, of doubt even. The whole spectrum of human emotion is on display in this book because complicated feelings are a part of what it means to be a human. John Calvin, and often when we think of John Calvin, you think of this academic with no heart. That wasn't John Calvin. And he wrote, I have been accustomed to call this book, I think not inappropriately, an anatomy of the soul. For there's not an emotion of which anyone can be conscious that is not here represented as in a mirror. God gave us this mirror 
Because in those moments, it is so needed and validating to see, I can feel this way. Feeling this way does not disqualify me as a Christian. Feeling this way is part of being a human in this fallen world. And God gave us the Psalms to that end. To dispel that insecurity. To remind you that you truly can be a Christian even though you're feeling all of those complicated feelings. That's the first principle. Feelings are part of being human. The second flows out of the first. Feelings should not be hidden or suppressed. I suspect that this was the principle that my grandfather's generation needed to be reminded of. Not to overgeneralize, but I guess I am generalizing. There was a time when it, it seems that the, the, the pulse of the culture was that if, if you're feeling stuff like that, then you're, you're not strong. Or, 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 something, or something's wrong. And you certainly don't need to talk about those feelings. And you most certainly don't need to talk about those feelings in the worship gathering. Stiff upper lip. Right? And yet that's entirely the opposite of what we see in the Psalms. Which is, again, the hymn book that God wrote for his church. These worship songs given by God to us for our corporate worship express the whole wide array, which means if our worship gatherings only ever hit the note of joy, but never give voice to the expressions of of grief or betrayal or depression or confusion that we find in the Psalms, then perhaps our worship gatherings aren't as biblical as we think that they are. Now, of course, there's a predominant note, isn't there? The joy of the Lord is our strength. There There is a dominant note in the Christian life. But those other notes are there too. One commentator says, we can learn from the laments, that's like the Psalms that we read today, we can learn from the laments how to be honest with God. The psalmist held nothing back, and neither should we. So feelings are part of the human experience, first principle, and they shouldn't be hidden or suppressed. You don't have to pretend that you're not feeling those things. Those are the first two principles. And if my grandfather's generation needed to hear those ones, then my generation needs to hear the next two. Third, feelings are not authoritative. Let me just say that one again. Because it's so opposite to everything that we're hearing when we step outside these doors. Feelings are not authoritative. You're going to feel all kinds of things throughout the day, throughout the week, throughout your life. Because you're human. But just because you feel them doesn't mean that they are authority. You might feel bored in your marriage. You might feel attracted to someone that you're not supposed to be attracted to. You might feel confused, like you're trapped in the wrong body. You might feel unhappy about getting up and going to work. You might feel like God has forgotten you, or that he's far from you or that he's rejected you. You might feel all of that on the same day in this fallen world. But just because you feel that, those real feelings, does not mean that they are authoritative for your life. That's why the chorus of the song we've been studying this morning redirects our attention away from the psalmist's feelings and toward an objective objective truth that shapes our reality. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? I know all these feelings are valid, but why are, you, why are you fixated on that? Hope in God. Why? For I shall again praise him. He hasn't rejected me. He hasn't forgotten me. He isn't far from me. I shall again praise him. My salvation and my God. So he's 
so how healthy is this? Like he's laid all of his feelings out on the table. He's not suppressing them. He's not pretending they're not real. Boom, it's all on the table. What a mess. I'm feeling all of that. And, and in that, there's some stuff in there that you'd feel uncomfortable saying to God. Why have you rejected me? I remember you. Why have you forgotten me? He's saying some strong things here. He's laying it all out on this table. Some of us need to learn how to do that. But then he's turning his attention now to this objective truth. Yes, I feel all of that, but my feelings are wrong. My feelings are not telling me the truth today. Because in spite of all those feelings, I know that God is who he said he is. I know that he is my salvation. That is the truth. That is the authority in my life, regardless of how I'm feeling today. And if the psalmist could see that and declare that, living in exile in Babylon or wherever he's been taken to, long before ever, ever seeing Christ, then how much more can we sing that, living where we do, living on this side of the cross, seeing Jesus' life and, and his death on the cross and his resurrection and, and knowing what we know about his ascension and having the teaching from the apostles where Paul tells us these light and momentary afflictions are preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. Or we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Or, or, or how Jesus, you know, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Like we have all of these beautiful, glorious resources to, resources to reinforce this truth in our hearts, this objective truth that I can live under as my feelings bring me all around. Now again, the truth didn't keep the psalmist from expressing his feelings, but having laid them all down, he rooted himself there in the truth. And that is the piece that we seem to be missing today. We've become slaves to our feelings. We've overcorrected from the ditch that our grandparents were in, and now we can't seem to stop fixating on our feelings we tape our deepest, our deepest, darkest feelings and we, we post them on the internet for strangers to indulge in. We find our identity in our feelings. I feel, therefore I am. But our feelings, real as they may be, are not authoritative. Jeremiah 17.9 teaches us, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? That leads to the fourth and final principle as we come to a close. Feelings must be coached. Feelings must be coached. That's what the psalmist is modeling for us in his song and that's what we need to model for one another here in this place. And if I could speak to the parents for a moment, moms and dads, Psalm 42 and 43 is a tool that you need to put in your tool belt because man, our kids are going to feel a lot of stuff I am not that far, I might not look like it, but I'm not that far removed from being a teenager. I felt some stuff. Like, I, I'm close enough that I still remember a lot. I, I felt like a whirlwind of stuff every single day. I live this way now, man, as a teenager. And thankfully, I wasn't living in a culture where every single day somebody was leaning in and saying, if that's how you feel, that's who you are. That, I can't even imagine what it would have been like to, to try and, find my identity and figure out who I am in that world with those fluctuations. But that is the world our kids are living in right now. Moms and dads, it's important for us to learn this and to teach our kids this. To teach them what to do with these big, complicated feelings that are a part of life. 
to, to have a place in our homes and in our, our faith community where they're safe to bring that stuff out and to lay it on the table. But then there we can, when we can speak the truth of God's word to it, we need to model this. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this well. I'm going to read a bit of a longer quote. Please try and soak this up. It's helpful. He says, The essence of this matter is to understand that this self of ours, this other man or woman within us, has got to be handled. Do not listen to him. Turn on him. Speak to him. Condemn him. Upbraid him. Exhort him. Encourage him. Remind him of what you know. Instead of listening placidly to him and allowing him to drag you down and depress you. That little voice, like, it's human. But there is a time for you to stop and say, hey, okay, I heard you. I'm, I heard you. I got it. Loud and clear. I'm reading my Bible now because I, I just need some truth right now. Like, I get it. That's all valid. But this is true. And so I'm going to just deal with this. I'm going to speak. And sometimes we need other people to speak truth into our lives. And so maybe that is your therapist or maybe that is your Christian, your friend or your spouse. We need other voices speaking the truth into us. But man, our feelings need to be coached. Some of us feel depressed today in this room. Some of us are feeling lost. Some of us are feeling faithless. Some of us are feeling confused. Some of us are feeling angry. And the thing is, that is going to be true week after week after week as we gather in this place. Maybe to, today you're feeling depressed. Tomorrow it's going to be the person across the path. And then the next week is going to be me up here in the pulpit. We're going to feel an assortment of things every time we gather in this place because it's a bunch of humans gathering in this place, right? If that's you, if you're feeling any of that, man, I'm so glad you're here. We all are. Glad that you're here. I hope that you feel safe here to lay all that on the table, to talk about it. I hope you feel safe. You, you could cry in this place. You know, you could, you could lay it all out on the table before the Lord. You're welcome here. We're called to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. That's, that's what it means for us to be the people of God. So feel safe to lay all that on the table. But now hear this. But having laid it all on the table, we're not going to stop there as the people of God. We're going to open his word week after week. And we're going to force our subjective feelings to sit under and to submit to the authoritative word of God. We're going to coach our feelings here. We're going to sing praise, even if it's through tears. And we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper even on those months when we feel cold and distant. We're going to pray even though we feel doubt. Because our feelings are real and valid, but they do not define us. How I feel does not define who I am. Who does? God defines who I am. God defines who I am. Maybe some of you just need to tell your feelings that today. God defines who I am. So if, I, if he says I'm forgiven, then I am forgiven. Even if I feel dirty and gross. If he says I'm a child of God, then I am a child of God. Even if I feel forgotten. If he says I'm a temple of the living God, then that's what I am. Even if he feels so far away. My heart, my heart is deceitful above all things. But he always and only tells me the truth. So I'm going to acknowledge my feelings and I'm going to lay them down before him but then I'm going to look to him to learn what is true. I'm going to learn by God's grace to say with the psalmist, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? 
Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. That's the truth. That's the authority. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I confess that uh, I, need, I need to hear this, of course, just as much as everyone in the room. And Lord, we, we confess before you that we are we're, we're people. We're flesh and dust. And Lord, you know that. I thank you that you know that. The Psalms remind me that you know that. Oh, you know that some of us just sometimes just spiral so hard. Lord, you know that some of us get so broken sometimes or get angry. Lord, I confess that's not where, where my soul goes, but there are people in this room who just find that that anger just bubbles up. Uh, Lord, the, that sense of betrayal by our friends. Lord, some people have been through some painful things and I thank you for those psalms that David wrote in those moments when it just felt like everyone that I thought I could trust turned on him. Lord, you know that we feel all of those things and God, we come to you today weak and we come to you thankful that, God, you see that. Lord, and you've given us songs to sing for such times as those. Lord, and you've given us hope that sees beyond times like those. A hope that sees beyond the grave. Lord Jesus, thank you that you taught us what it looks like to live rightly. Um, you felt things too, Jesus. We see that in the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. You, you felt things strongly. And yet, Lord, you, you modeled what it was to never be slave to feelings, but Lord, to use the feelings as a, as a tool, as a resource, but to hold fast to the truth. Uh, God, we want to live that way. Um, help us to live that way. I pray that you'd help us to, to be healthy. Uh, Lord, I do pray for that. All, all four of those little principles that we see, uh, God, our, I think of our kids in particular, they need, they need us to be a place where they can be honest. God, I pray that we would be those people. Um, Lord, but then they need us to be honest people who will point them to the truth with, with empathy and mercy and compassion, but with, God, with, with faithfulness, uh, unflinching, unwavering, Lord, pointing them to the truth that you've given to us. Help us to speak winsomely um, and firmly. Lord, and as we go into the world, Lord, I, I confess, even as I shared that illustration earlier and there was a, I could feel it in my heart, a bad there was some bad motive there. There was a, this will get a laugh motive there. I repent of that, God. It's not funny. It's really sad. I pray that you'd, you'd work in our culture. Um, Lord, I do pray for all of the people around us who just feel so uh, enslaved, Lord, by these feelings that fluctuate every day. People who are doing things to their bodies. Um, irreparable things. Um, Lord, there's, there's just nothing funny about it at all. It's a, uh, something that we need to speak into lovingly and I pray that you'd help us. Lord, help us to model that well. Help us to be a people that resemble Jesus and God, we confess that we fall short of that time after time but Lord, that's what we want to be. So Lord, help us and be merciful and Lord, I thank you for your kindness to us. Thank you that when we're weak, you're strong and Lord, as we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness, God. We look to you now. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Worship team, would you lead us?